0: Hello my name is Adam Eason, welcome to episode 90 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a carnival atmosphere filled show lined up for you today. In a short while I'm going to be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest Alberto Del Isolia. Then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news stories examining the media where uh, where hypnosis is featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective comment. What am I saying? No, I'm not. This week I'm going to be getting on one. I'm going to be foaming at the mouth, frothing at the mouth and talking about a subject that is incredibly close to my heart and something that I feel is important. I want to get out there a bit more. We'll then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Alberto Del Isolia, We'll be talking about all things social media and discussing the incredible success that Alberto has had with it. And I've learned so much from this discussion with Alberto. I can't wait to share it with you. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch with me uh, via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the website wwwhypnosis weekly. Com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be your BFF if you do. Um, it takes just a couple of seconds and a couple of clicks uh, to give us a favourable rating, and it does us loads of good very much appreciate it. So um, first of all, today is this week's interview with Alberto Del Isolia. Um, Alberto and I have been in touch with each other for a while. Um, we met at the UK hypnosis convention last year for the first time, um, but we didn't get to talk much as, or, or as much as I would have liked. Uh, you never can really at a, at a really busy convention with so much going on. Now, what makes Alberto so outstanding is how he has emerged as a real major force in the hypnosis world. Um, his his YouTube channel uh, is Portuguese speaking, and yet it has over 300,000 subscribers. It is incredible. His trainings are rampacked. He invites other trainers to his base in Brazil and his classes are packed to the rafters. He is a phenomenon. We're going to be speaking about his approach to social media later on. For now, uh, we talk about him, hypnosis, and some more besides. Um, I love that Alberto is, uh, despite being a native Portuguese speaker, he's speaking here in English. Um, he was worried beforehand that there might be a problem understanding him but oh no he he communicates beautifully um for now get comfy my friends turn up the volume sip on your tea enjoy this week's interview So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest on Hypnosis Weekly, the one and the only Mr. Alberto Delisola. Alberto, welcome to Hypnosis
1: Weekly. Thanks a lot for being invited to talk with you and to this great audience on hypnosis. And it's an honor to be here.
0: Great, Gregor, it's an honour having you. Um, um, so, Alberto, to tell us a little bit about yourself, you know. How, how did you get into this field? What's, what's your background and how have you arrived here where you are at now?
1: Uh, to be honest, I started with psychology. Mm. And as everyone that studies psychology, I started with Ericksonian hypnosis because when I didn't have... Uh, hypnosis in my graduation in psychology, sure. but I had a teacher, a professor that mm. used it to do Ericksonian hypnosis, and then I got to learn more on Ericksonian hypnosis. But when I went to the cognitive field, like the behavior behaviorism yeah. and cognitive behaviorism, the I started to be more interested on classical, traditional hypnosis. Yeah. And I never felt like teaching hypnosis. I just started teaching. My idea initially was to be a professor. So yeah. I started, I did my master's degrees on philosophy of law. Cool. And my idea was to be a professor. But... I used it to hypnotize my students in college. So (laughs) they started asking for hypnosis classes. And that hypnosis class started making a lot of success between the students. So I started teaching hypnosis. But, and then what's really funny is that in 2014, I started teaching hypnosis in the YouTube channel. Because when i was teaching hypnosis to my students many of them had many what i call dangerous practice concerning hypnosis yeah. like dropping a lot of people on the floor and and those uh the human bridge and some things yeah. that i didn't like yeah. so i started doing videos but this those videos were not really aimed for the public. I was aiming my students. Yeah. But my YouTube channel became one of the biggest in the world yeah, on hypnosis. Yeah, and it's is... 300,000 subscribers in Portuguese, which, is, which makes me more glad of the result because probably in English, I would have more subscribers yeah. because my YouTube channel is in Portuguese. So I started teaching hypnosis and... When I started putting the videos in the beginning, I didn't have this social media mindset. Mm. I just thought of this, I just thought on YouTube as a repository for my videos because I wanted a place to put them. But then I started to get a lot of invitations to teach hypnosis. And I soon became one of the most popular hypnotists in Brazil. Yeah. So nowadays I see my YouTube channel and my social media as my most important tools to promote my work as a teacher and as a therapist.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I mean I mean it's um um it's it's fantastic what you've done and the reach that you've created with that channel. It's wonderful. So um um, just tell me a little bit. You know, where where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? So, so how how do you define hypnosis these days? And and h- how have you arrived at that definition? And and when people ask you, you know, if, if if you're just at the dinner party and and someone asks you about what you do, how how do you explain hypnosis to them? How do you explain hypnosis to your clients? I, I realise that I've just asked you about a thousand questions all at once. Um, so excuse me. So, but but where are you at? How do you, how
1: do you define, how do you explain hypnosis these days? When I, the way I define hypnosis changes, because change, because it depends on the public I'm talking to. Yeah. If I'm talking to someone that's really into science, my, my speech will be much more different than if I'm talking to some guy, some person, some friends in a party but when i'm in a party for example or with friends family i always say that hypnosis is the use of concert, of focus in order to change my subjective reality or something like that yeah, because yeah. because that gives us the impression of natural trance and I like this idea in order to explain people what is hypnosis. But when I'm into the, the office, although I like the behaviorism and the social cognitive perspective, I like to use the Dave Ellman definition of mm-hmm. the critical faculty and what's quotient, quotient, quotient and unconscious, because when people come to the pr- through the office, they want to know why they can't change, why they make so much effort. Yeah, they like of uh, see what Emil Que called the law of the inversion of the effort, right? Which is yes. they, they they try and the more they try, they just fail. So when I'm into The practice in the office, I usually write, I draw a circle, and I make a a a split between quotient and unconscious, and I put the critical faculty, because although there's no critical faculty, no critical factor, or something like that, although it's all made up, it's a good metaphor to make people change. So. But nowadays, if you ask me what I think, what hypnosis is, I must tell you that the more I study hypnosis, the more I practice hypnosis, hypnosis gets more magical and less magical at the same time. Yeah. Because that's weird, because when I used to see hypnosis on TV, I was looking for the magical words. I used it to see the stage hypnotist, and I thought that if I knew those commands, and in the past, people used to mute the sound of the presentation, yeah. because they didn't want to hypnotize us in our, in our homes. It was dangerous, and I was always wondering what were those magical words, yeah. and nowadays I see that there's no magical word. However. Every word is magical at the end. So that's weird because although defining hypnosis is each day for me less magical, I see that the ability to change and to use the tool is much more broad than I used to think some years ago, for example.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I I love that. It makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of what you say makes it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, um that's great. Uh you, you mentioned you mentioned a couple of people there. You mentioned a couple of names. Um um tell me about some of your influences um Alberto. You know who 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 are some of your major influences in this field? And and are there certain books and authors that have taught you most? Have there been teachers that have been most
1: influential upon you that you could tell us about a little bit? Yes well I I must mention Skinner the psychologist, yes. because the behaviorism perspective since Pavlov and, and Skinner made a great influence in my work. Yeah. I respect a lot the work of Freud, especially the defense mechanisms. and the, Freud was one of the first to see that we had the unconscious mind and that many of our actions we're not governed, we're not really made by conscious decisions. Yeah. Although Freud has stolen many of his ideas from Schopenhauer and Nietzsche, but that's another discussion. But anyway, Freud <laughs> yeah. is important for me. But when I think on hypnosis, I like a lot phenomenology. Yeah. Since uh, uh, Carl Rogers and Russell, Husserl, Carl Rogers, Merleau-Ponty, until we get into Maslow Maslow and Milton Erickson. I like that, although I disagree with Erickson, in mm-hmm. many points, I'm into Weizenhofer, which is one of my greatest influences. Great. It's Andre Weizenhofer, because yeah. he mentions many problems in the Ericksonian approach. Yeah. And I agree with them all. But yeah. I do think that the idea of resources and that we can change ourselves, which is embedded in the Ericksonian approach, which yeah. has been got from Maslow. Yeah. People don't mention Maslow and Carl Rogers, but they are much more imp- important in the in this area of change work. Yeah. The Milton Erickson, in my opinion, because they came up with those concepts and... Although I love those guys, I really like the work of Dave Elman. I have some problems with some things on Dave Elman, but it's not just to analyze someone without um, thinking about their historical context. Yeah. Because we must, for example, people nowadays say, oh, Freud was a dumbass, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, people say like something like that. Oh Dave Elman. Dave Elman did know science. Man, we need to understand the context which those those people were into. And I do think that Dave Elman is very important. Because he although he didn't invent a lot of things because hypnoanalysis has been for a long time. Erica from or Wahlberg were working with that for a long time. Yeah. But Elman yeah. did uh, a great start on making people from, from health science, like doctors and dentists, to start to learn hypnosis and to practice that. And if you think nowadays, because yeah. I'm talking about old people, I, lo- I like the I, lo- I like a lot the, word, the work of Anthony Jacquin James strip yeah. I like Sean Michael Andrews had a great influence on my work, especially the way of I teach. I teach a lot inspired on Sean Michael Andrews because he likes to split things in little bits and make a lot of. I mean, being a lot of didactics, I don't know if it makes any yes. sense in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a very um teacher, and I like a lot the work of Melissa Tears. Yeah. Melissa has a integrative perception, yeah, and I really like the, this idea of being more integrative. Yeah. And... There are many authors I like a lot. I like a lot your work on self-hypnosis. Cool. Uh, a lot of things that I used to think when I read your book, The Self-Hypnosis Approach, or Scientific Approach, yeah. I, I got that someone has written the things that I used to say, you know, but I didn't <laughs> yeah. write. Yeah. And I got many ideas from your work because I do think that trance. Nowadays, I do think that the idea of trance is a very bad thing for, pe- for people in change work. Mm. Because people tell me they can't go into self-hypnosis. And when you ask, why don't you get into self-hypnosis, they usually just say about the state, the state yeah. of trance. Yeah. They, they never say about change work. They never say about their thoughts, their beliefs, their belief systems. And so I like a lot the work of all those people. I don't like the work of some people too who like those people are dead so I can't tell their names. <laughs> I don't like a lot <laughs> I don't like a lot of the work of Joseph Murphy. Sure. Like sure. The Powers of the Subconscious Mind yeah. because I do think that he was he got great influence over many hypnotists and many therapists. And people like Murphy, they use it to get self hypnosis hypnosis and turn it into something mystical again. Mm. And bring in a lot of esoterical terms and thinking in what I call pseudoscience. I, I, don't, yes. I don't I don't I don't I don't have problems with faith. Because the faith is Belief, religion. People believe in many things. I believe in many things too, and probably you believe in a lot of things. But the point is, pseudo science is dangerous because they try to get beliefs, they try to get faith, and make them scientific. But they have no structure to make them scientific. And Joseph Murphy does a lot of that. Yeah. That new thinking. And a lot of attraction. I respect that many people in the audience love these kind of things, but I don't like them at all. I think that they are kind of a. Uh, we are trying every day to move hypnosis away from mysticism, yeah. from esotericism, and yeah. people want to drag hypnosis again. So those are my biggest. Inf- I have a lot of influence on back from cognitive psychology. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, yeah. by the way, by the way, if anyone that studies NLP, if that person gets into cognitive psychology, we'll see that many, thing, many things were at least inspired, yes. to not say other things, <laughs> by cognitive psychology. Yeah, yeah, without absolutely. Without given credit. Yeah. So those are my greatest influences, and uh, uh, I'm uh, really... I-
0: yeah, I, I really loved hearing um, those influences, um, because because there's a lot of variation in that, which which strikes me, which is something that's at the heart of this podcast, for example, which is which is to to embrace as many approaches as possible, but not just to 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 believe. Um, um, or follow one without offering up any critique I like the fact that, that that some of the people you follow you're aware of there being some some slight criticism of some of the elements of, of what they offer and um, that strikes me as as being you know a, a really good mindset that I wish I wish and I spend so much of my time suggesting and 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 uh, and wanting my students um, um, to, to develop themselves you know its uh, it's great to hear hear the way in which you've been speaking about that. Um, Alberto, throughout your experience, throughout your, your teaching and some of the things that that you 've been doing within the field of hypnosis, tell me to me what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that, that you 've directly witnessed that've you've, that you've seen or been involved with.
1: I am a very scientific person, yeah, and I must be sh- but be honest to say that I don't believe in a lot of things, yeah. Uh, and that makes some of the hypnosis practice uh, very spooky for yeah. me, yeah. For, uh, for example, there was a client of mine which had some very mm-hmm. Bad rheumatism and very severe pains in their arms and legs and shoulders and every, every all around the body. And I don't get those kind of clients because when I'm working in my office, I usually work with some few uh, few problems. Mm. The, for example, I don't I don't like dealing with pain in my office because I'd rather sending that person to a friend of mine which also works with hypnosis but is a physiotherapist. Because as I studied psychology probably, uh, I'm more into the things that I saw in in university when Mm. I think on psychological problems. So I don't feel like, for example, if someone asks me, for a kind of therapy to avoid a kind of pain, mm-hmm. I usually would not attend that person, I would not call them to come to my office. Of course, I will talk to that person, I will give all attention, but I would say I'd like to introduce you, my friend, which is only works with pain, so that's a person that knows much more about pain than myself. Yeah. But... There was um, a student of mine that asked me for help. That's not a professional case, you know. And she asked me for help after class, after hypnosis class. Yeah. She said that she couldn't stand the pain in her legs and shoulder. It was In the scale from 0 to 10, it was 9, 10 or something like that. And although professionally I don't work with this kind of case, of course, I helped the girl. Yeah. And she had already the mindset that we should do a regression. So I did a regression. And, and I had lots of problems with regression, but it's a good tool to use sometimes. And when I did the regression, there was um, some strong ab reactions and stuff. But at the end of the process, her pain was almost completely gone, and she had problems with that for years, and nobody knew explanation for that, and as someone that's very into science, although I liked to see the result, I I got astonished. that kind of disturbed me, because. Uh, I did, I really didn't see the explanation to that. Yeah. And at, at that moment, I saw that the Dave Ellman definition of hypnosis was working much more for me in that situation than the social, social cognitive perspective, for example. And that's a really weird case because I saw someone that couldn't almost couldn't walk, it was kind of a miracle, you know, when you were in a church and you see someone having this kind of relief, and although I have had many patients that got away with phobias and many mood disorders, anxiety disorders, very fast in the office, Mm -hmm. that case of pain relief was much stronger to me, because I didn't have a really a good explanation in terms of psychology of what happened. Yeah. And that was really weird. And mm-hmm. it, when someone asked me about that, because that case fit completely on that idea of our subconscious mind trying to punish us. And when someone asked me about oh do you have a case do, have you seen people that ratify that idea of the unconscious or the subconscious mind punishing you, punishing the person in terms of a symptom? I yeah. only say that it was an anecdotal evidence. Mm. And although I must see it as an important case, I can't use it as evidence yeah. for support an idea about the method or about the power of hypnosis.
0: Yeah, quite right
1: and Um, and i have a problem with hypnosis which is it's very hard to define it because we get a lot of phenomena completely which are completely different and just label all of them as hypnosis that's the same of what happens with memory uh we have many kinds of memories like my anniversary or my birthday or how I drive my car, those are all memories, but they're completely different from my mind. Mm. And we la- label them all as memory, and the same happens in hypnosis. So, define hypnosis is not easy, and that's a problem science faces every day, because when there's a new paper, a scientific paper on hypnosis, that paper must define what hypnosis is for that scientists.
0: Exactly. So,
1: that's a problem
0: yeah the, the the position that they adopt um, um one of the things that that what you know it, it, this is this is a great challenge that, that that I have had with my own with my own submission of of papers to to peer reviewed journals is that you know b- before before you even can start testing your your protocol you have to agree upon what the protocol is and many many different authors um um, will define self hypnosis in a different way. You know that there, there are many authors out there that that define self hypnosis as as using an audio, for example. Even though they're still being guided, many people that that, that still define self hypnosis in very very different terms. And so, you know, what am I talking about here? And and if is it is it possible for me to dip into the research and say self hypnosis has this evidence? If the self hypnosis they're referring to is different to the way in which I am conceptualising it. Um, um. So, you know, you make it's it's um it's music in my ears. Um. Um. To to hear you say that. Um. You know, I really appreciate that. Um. Now, tell me, Alberto, if 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 you could go back, if you could go back to when you started out in this field or when you started exploring this field, you know, um, um, as a hypnosis professional, as a trainer, as a hypnotherapist, you know, knowing all the stuff that you know now after these years of experience and, and study, is there anything that you would do differently? Um, and is there any advice that the person you are today would give, give that younger you? And um, is, there, is that some advice that you would share to, to our listeners, to, to hypnotherapists of today?
1: Well, there is some advice that I, I think that they're important. The, the first thing that I would tell myself if I was able to teach myself hypnosis is that cognitive psychology, which I was already into, is not any different from hypnosis, from what I was doing. Because when I started doing hypnosis, at the beginning, I really thought it was something else. Yeah. Because... As a psychology student sees someone hallucinating and he's not schizophrenic. It's really weird to (laughs) see that. Although we work with psychology, we don't see that in a class. We don't Mm -hmm. think that's possible. And when I saw that the phenomena was possible, I started to think it was very magical. And I do think that if you want to work with... Hypnotherapy and self development tools, you should take away a little of the magic things and be more restricted to what really is important, which is change work, belief system, and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I do think that's very important for me is to practice hypnosis with people. Because yeah. I was always, I was. Always looking for the perfect moment, I had been reading for these things for years, and I never felt I would be able to stuck someone 's hand on the table because right. I, I I knew I, I got so uh, frightened by the idea of that not working, and people thinking that i'm a bad uh, i 'm an idiot or something <laughs> like that I was always i, I couldn't even use it. Uh, with people to make a kind of change work or something because I was always I, I didn't I didn't feel like like it was a natural thing to do hypnosis. Mm. And I was always looking for the perfect moment to start doing it. And the advice I give is start doing it now. Mm. If you if you read just read a book on hypnosis, do the hand clasp with your friends see that psychological phenomenon. And one something, Adam, that I really find weird is that many psychologists, which are my friends, my acquaintances, that work with hypnosis, they are very against the use of hypnosis for demonstration, like hand clasp or something, yeah. like you seeing the phenomena yeah. in, in a context that's not therapeutic. Yeah. And what I really see is that some of these people are dragging hypnosis into the mystical field again. Yeah. Because if hypnosis is really a natural phenomenon, there is no problem on making someone to believe that their hands are stuck together. Yeah. So th- that's just a, a, a thought. That's a fixed thought. Thought. So we need to move hypnosis away from exoterism. And I do think that making it natural means it's no problem if you forget your name. And I must say that when, as a subject, I lost my name for the first time, it was one of the most therapeutic things I ever had. It (laughs) it was really awesome. It was really awesome because I wanted that for years. And I I never felt like, and when I realized I I didn't know my name, it was so incredible because when I, I was into psychology, and I couldn't give me an explanation why I can't know my name. Yeah, because that's a, a memory which is very well coded into yeah. my brain. Yeah, really. And, and that's very fantastic to me. So I do think that people must do it right away. And the third third thing that I think it's very important for people which are studying. And that's, the, that's a device that I would give me now, is read the original authors. Because yeah. when you read a book on hypnosis, you are always trusting the author. Yeah. For example, I read your book. I trust you, Adam. Yeah, However, yes. <laughs> I, as a researcher, I downloaded the papers. I have access to the periodicals which released the papers. I want to read. Yeah. I want to see which was that research. Yeah. What people do, do. For example, when it comes into the social cognitive training, I want to know that how it works. How many people were into that product, project. How yeah. it works. So for me, it's very yeah, important. How
0: profound yeah. the effect was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're, you're, you're a man after my own heart. You know, I, I love the fact, for example that, um, you know, that, 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 that privately, um, you know, you, you were asking me about the Carlton Skills um, program, you know, you weren't just taking, exactly, you weren't just taking my word for it. You wanted to go and you wanted to go and explore that. You wanted to go and look at that and understand the mechanisms behind it. I get that.
1: Yes, to, to be, I, I downloaded. I got all the papers. I have a password from my university yeah, and I can get the papers yeah. because there's a, a kind of I don't know how to say that in English so I will forget the, the word but there is an agreement between my government in Brazil the government in Brazil yeah. to get those papers so I downloaded the 1983 paper the 1986 paper <laughs> I, I want to see that how yeah. many people were there and I do think that for people that are practicing hypnosis that is very important to do that because I see people repeating many, many things uh, without uh, asking. This this week, I put a video on my YouTube channel called "Critical Faculty versus Cri- Critical Factor." Yes, and that's a very silly thing. But as I said in the video, it's all made up, so it doesn't matter if it's critical factor, faculty, or factor. However, if you are citing Dave Elman, it makes no sense telling factor. Yeah. So I, I think that we must be. So, but many people are teaching it as critical factor, as if it was Dave Elman thing. And that's because people are not reading the originals. And if you don't read the original thing, you are missing a lot. And I do think that the audience should always get the original work. And Trust the author, but don't trust that much. So you must read no, no, by no, yourself. No, absolutely.
0: Plus, you know what? You know what? Um, um the, the the way the way that some the way that I disseminate that that research or the way in which I present the research is also likely to be influenced by my own leaning by my own stance, you know. And so, you know, of course, I have I have bias as to as do all the academics, and that's the reason. That we have things like peer review, um, um, in order that 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 leaning can get questioned and get get some rigor and and be examined, and so it's really refreshing to hear you say that. And you know, one of one of my one of a real major issue of mine, something I've spoken about um, um, during lectures and something I've written about a great deal is, you know, very often people start sharing sharing new scientific discoveries, and there's been like. Uh, um, I've spoken before sharing information where which is just a press release, a press release for a scientific study, and and instead of reading the study and understanding what they, what 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 it's actually about, many many hypnotherapists will just just share it. And just agree with the headline without actually understanding what went on and what the provenance is of that that that, that study and what the what the leaning is and, and you know whether it whether it even had a control group or things like that, you know, so, um, um it, you know, again, really lovely to hear now. Alberto, we're going to carry on speaking um, 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 in a short while after the break. Um, For now, though, where can people that are listening, where can they go to learn more about you, your work, your approach? Where can people go to to, to go and explore you and your work a bit more?
1: I have a YouTube channel, Yep. which you can find on searching for my name, which is Alberto Delisola. Delisola is from the island in Italian. Yeah, but if you want to just write the address, it's youtube.com. Yeah, backslash, yeah, super memoria, like super memory in yeah. Portuguese. Super memory. because I, yes, yeah, because I started my YouTube channel because I am a, a mind athlete, I do like memory feats on television, like memori- memorizing decks of cards, yeah. and those kind of things. So, my YouTube channel started with this this name super memoria but yeah. i just le- left it like this yeah. so many people are learning hypnosis in the super memoria channel yeah. and if you have and i also have a facebook group which i think is the biggest in the world on hypnosis yeah. which is called hipnose and psicologia in portuguese yeah Hypnose and psicologia and you can go there but most all everything will be in portuguese but if yeah. you write in english we will understand
0: yeah 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 but i so will we, um, i guess yeah and i will make sure that there are links to 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 both of those um I'm over at this uh, episodes page of the hypnosis weekly website Um, um, Go check those out, Um, it's fascinating stuff there from Alberto. Um, We will be back with Alberto in just a few minutes time. really enjoyed that. Uh, I laughed a fair few times there too. Uh, More from Alberto in a short while and I'm going to do my best to actually start pronouncing his surname correctly um, and stop being such a such a Luddite, such a fool in that particular regard. On to this week's hypnosis in the news slot then. This week, as I've done on a few occasions before on the podcast, I wanted to use this slot to speak about something very close to my heart. I'll be back talking about the media portrayals of hypnosis in future weeks. I felt today there was an opportunity, especially with regards to some of the themes raised in today's interview with Alberto, to talk about evidence-based approaches to hypnosis and hypnotherapy. I'd like to think and promote Um, the idea that evidence-based practice is surely the future of hypnotherapy, that it is something to aspire to as individuals and as a field. Um, You know, I I initially trained back in 1997, over 20 years ago, as a hypnotherapist, and uh, who was taught and thus believed in that kind of unconscious, conscious model of mind. And uh, my career was propelled as a result of my first book, uh, which I wrote back in the early 2000s. Um, It was a bestseller. And among many things that I read shortly after writing this book was a wonderful quote that someone sent me um, that's over a 100 years old um, by philosopher and psychologist William James. Um, And he had this to say about the notion of the unconscious mind, that it was the sovereign means for believing what one likes in psychology and of turning what might become a science into a tumbling ground for whimsies. Mm. Now, I felt hurt. Uh, today, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed by that particular book. I'm, uh, I've rewritten it um, and because it was centered on a model that um, I no longer believe in or adhere to. Um, and it was titled the secrets of self-hypnosis harnessing the power of your unconscious mind and today the majority of cognitive psychologists and neuroscientists tend to dispute that concept of dualism um, that of the mind being distinct to the brain there is no center of consciousness there's no center of decision making Um, and it made for some initial discomfort as reality bit me you know there was my book showing people how to communicate with their unconscious mind that I just found didn't really exist in that way that is still taught prolifically frontline in hypnotherapy um, um, circles today, um, and the, the, you know, by, by, by companies and organisations that just kind of rehash the same thing year after year without ever questioning what it is that they're teaching and what it is that they're doing. Um, you know you look at academics throughout the history um, of hypnosis major researchers and people that have contributed to this field none of them ever explain hypnosis as being anything to do with a conscious and subconscious mind anyway um, and being an evidence-based practitioner means offering up some some congruency I had some lengthy conversations with a colleague a couple of years ago and we openly stated on our website for example that certain audios that we have have not been tested uh, we removed lots of them we offered some for free and we Vouched for those that did have evidence supporting them or principles that underpinned them. Um, so, as I incorporated evidence-based approaches into my work, the benefits to my clients, my success rates, and my entire business um, was really transformed for the better. Um, and that excites me. And and evidence-based practice is exciting. You know, a lot of people paint it as being a rather dour thing to be to be to be into you know but the field constantly develops it's therefore dynamic you know what many people are blissfully working in this field without any idea of the true depth of the scientific studies we have to support our field or they they quote other people quoting other studies without actually reading them or knowing what it is that they're doing Um, but of the you know 13,000 studies you can find on PubMed today for example on in the field of hypnotherapy they don't all make very comfortable reading for some corners of the professional hypnosis Community, many professionals um, 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 that, that, that perpetuate myth and misconception that lots of the evidence tends to refute. Um, so, evidence based practice is also engaging. You know, it's easier to explain to a potential or an actual client why something is likely to work if the justification for believing in it is sound and consistent and and ideally objective you know it offers some instant credibility to clients as well as something that can be related to and trusted in um, it also offers up legitimacy and credibility to conventional medical and health agencies and and to your clients you know your clients GPs and their doctors um, you know some people are not interested in that but I think it's good for business I think it's also downright responsible, it's client-centred to offer evidence-based practice, you know, you're making therapeutic choices and decisions based upon evidence, as opposed to being influenced by how you're feeling that day, for example, you know, I've got a gut feeling, this will be good for that person. Um, Evidence-based practice, it's rational, you know, continued learning is from reliable studies and reviews, rather than from egos and armchair philosophy and psychology. You know, when we talk about evidence, what are we talking about? We're talking about scientific evidence, or as close to as we can get with the field of hypnosis, as opposed to anecdotal, or philosophising, or or gut feeling, or divine insight, or, or guesswork. You know, there's absolutely a place for all of these things: for anecdote, for philosophy. Of course, there is. You know, that drives much of what I do. Um, But the the, the American Psychological Association define evidence based practice in psychology as the integration of the best available research with clinical expertise in the context of patient characteristics, culture and preferences. And I think that's lovely. You know, I'd go listen back to that because, you know, it's not quite as scientific as we might necessarily think and definitely offers us some opportunity to use expertise as well. One of the goals with my own training college is to ensure that any hypnotherapist studying the subject doesn't merely pay lip service to the concept of evidence-based practice, but neither are they completely limited by an overly scientific approach. I'm often confronted with discussion on this sort of forever debated notion of art versus science. Uh, You can go back as far as 1965, where Ernest Hilgard provided us with evidence that still stands up to rigour today and suggests that hypnosis depends more upon the effort of the subject than any so-called artistry of the hypnotist. Now, this general consensus amongst academics of this, most pioneers of the subject from James Braid through to Irving Kirsch and, 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 and all the other academics in between and researchers in between, they tend to support the notion that the subject is the one who imagines, who engages in cognitive processes. And hypnosis depends on the individual's efforts more than the artistic skills of the hypnotist. And you know, I get put. Yeah, but Adam, I'm I'm an artist. I use hypnosis. I express myself much like those people who engage in interpretive dance and flow with all creation, which is very lovely. You know, Um, I'd love to be cueing Kate Bush's song "Babushka" at this point and waving my flowing dress around, but it just didn't have the resource today. You see, if you believe that hypnosis is reliant on purely artistry or character of the individual doing it, then training needs to offer pretty much intangible skills. I mean, how do you teach that? How do you measure that progress? Which leads us on to something that's important to me. You know, evidence based practice. It's a great leveler. If an intervention is standardised, regardless of your level of skill or ability to use fancy language patterns or have the slick skills of many performers, you know, this is not needed for effective therapeutic intervention, just adherence to evidence-based protocol, developing, um, I meant the development of, of a good quality working alliance. You know, I'm, I'm forever getting inquiries from people asking me if my courses are gonna help them speak like Ericsson or certain online conversational hypnosis gurus. Um, Um, how to do a quadruple blind confusional adverb displacement language pattern conversationally. You know, a 1993 peer-reviewed study by Lynn Neufeld and Mayer, you know, showed itself um, 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 by examining independent studies that comparing indirect and direct language patterns, neither is actually more efficacious for clients um, um, and did not enhance the effects of therapy more than the other, you know. Um, anyhow the very evidence base um, um, um within our field across You know, broad spectrum of talk therapies tends to suggest that it's a collaborative process, effective working alliance, you know, as developed by Bourdain in the 70s and collaboration through the development of expectancy, as with Kirsch's expectancy response set, for example. You know, along with correct psychoeducation, all reinforce the collaborative nature of therapeutic outcomes, you know, and this diminishes the notion of the therapist being all, all powerful and all important. And doing hypnosis onto others, you know, when we look at the science in a nutshell, you know, scientists do do lots of tests and uh, reduce variability between tests, so that the only variables under test are looking for patterns to, to, to uh, about the effect that, that hypnosis or, or the therapy intervention has had. Um, um, And the results are analysed to produce models and the models can can make predictions and we use statistics to generalise results to greater populations um, and help ourselves to to, to know a little bit more. um, um, evidence-based practice means questioning the training and the learning that we've undertaken. You know, if, if training doesn't include evidence-based practice, then perhaps they might need to challenge a lot of it. If their training was evidence-based practice, then they should recognize that new evidence can change old assumptions and render previously taught techniques less favorable. Um, now, I... I I give a lot of my students a particular handout, um, um, which is um, about hypnotherapy as an empirically supported treatment with a load of really, really cool studies on it. That was derived from a a review published by Walk in 2008 that that looked at the criteria of Shambliss and Holland of how to denote or interpret hypnosis or, or, or... um, um, hypnotherapy is an evidence-based practice, and um, I, I've included a link to to that um, I'm on this this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. You can go and have a look at that and get a good feel for it. You know, science today tells us that there are no physical or physiological markers. For the, hypnotic, the hypnosis, um, in in and of itself, or, or or that it's a special process, you know, nothing's been reliably detected and universally accepted. Most hypnosis academics do not believe that there is a hypnotic state or that there is a trance, but some continue with a special process such as dissociation. Um, but the majority tend to favour socio-cognitive theories. Um, and the non state theories are generally favored among academics and that 's a discussion of great importance that we can look at uh, uh, another day um the, the truth is that we don't have the full story today. The search for one true universal definition that explains hypnosis, that continues that search um, and there's many rumbles with regards to it uh, that still occur uh, uh, on the front lines of hypnotherapy as well as amongst academics. Hypnosis is a fringe subject of psychology um, and it stays that way because um, there is so much myth and misconception, even by hypnotherapy professionals still spread. You know, the vast majority of them don't even know any better, don't even understand that they're saying anything that's potentially incorrect or, or, or out of line with research findings. Um, but funding is thin and research is a few and far between. There is research that shows a wide number of different things. But even what what, what we do have, um, a lot of the field don't don't really don't really have an awareness of. Um We don't need to accept particular models to learn from the results of the discussions. And while many academics are continuing to to discuss and debate, even bicker a little bit to to discover why and how hypnosis works, we can benefit from some of the spoils of that battleground by utilising the the reliable weapons that they uncover. There's a lot of sort of uh, warlike metaphor being used by me there. So I really don't understand. I cannot understand why so many hypnosis training courses did not include more science. You know, it's an exciting time for hypnotherapists. Um, When I began advocating evidence based approaches, it really felt like we were up against it with very few schools, colleges doing the same. Um, Personally and professionally, I've encountered quite a lot of opposition. In more recent years, though, it seems that the the culture of therapy is shifting slightly and therapists and clients alike, quite rightly, expect that much more of the techniques being used should be based on sound scientific research. And, you know, I urge you all to join in advancing that shift and just heighten your awareness of it, even if you're not changing your practice. Um, So, yeah, there'll be a link uh, um, given over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So, next up, I'll just wipe the rabid foam from my mouth. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion. I welcome back Alberto Della Solia. Um, I've already mentioned that Alberto has over 300,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel, which is phenomenal. And additionally, you know, he runs his thriving business in the field. Uh, He's soon going to be organizing one of the busiest hypnosis conventions in the world. Um, Much of that is down to the way he has mastered social media. You know, off air, Alberto is so enthusiastic about social media. Um, And on air here, he gives a lot of information. It really got me buzzing. Um, I hope it does the same for you. Here is this week's professional discussion talking all things social media, in particular YouTube, with Alberto. Enjoy. (music) I'm back now with this week's guest, Alberto de la Sola, and um, one of the things that that Alberto mentioned in his in, in in our interview section earlier on was was the popularity of his YouTube channel. You know, three hundred thousand subscribers. You know, on the topic of hypnosis, which is incredible, and it being Portuguese speaking. Um, you know, j- j- just gives you some idea of what a massive achievement this is. And when I um, when I met Alberto uh, last year's UK hypnosis convention, he was speaking about social media. And I remember speaking to lots of people that, that were in his presentation that were just saying to me, you know, there's so much sense here, so much to learn. So today we're going to see if there's some stuff we can learn from Alberto's success as well. Alberto, welcome back. Um, first of all, tell us, you, you know, what do you think made your YouTube channel so successful and so popular? And and, and, and what, what can the rest of us learn from what you have done with that YouTube
1: channel? Well, I'm very glad to talk about this topic because the only topic I like to talk more and hypnosis is social media, <laughs> so it's very good to talk about yeah. both in the same the same day. And the, the first thing, I guess, that's the greatest obstacle yeah. for hypnosis people that work with hypnosis to be big into social media and the internet is to change their mindset. Mm. Almost everyone. Which works with hypnosis, especially the teachers, they have what, what I call the scarcity ma- mindset yeah the for example, people are afraid, for example, a teacher, let's suppose I created a protocol for something, yeah, and I am afraid of teaching that for free on the internet, yeah this idea of scarcity that's the idea which makes more people not get the success in social media because people are more afraid of people stealing their ideas their processes than to deliver content yeah so if you want to make it big in social media don't worry deliver content. Yeah. I have, for free, in my YouTube channel, a full rapid inductions course. Wow. Per people think there's a hundred thirty free videos where people can understand hypnosis since the beginning, like the tests, like hand clasps, like theory of mind, some of psychology, Dave Young induction, a break of pattern, many, many inductions, many suggestions. Many people in Brazil are learning hypnosis for free in my YouTube channel. When I started doing that, many people started to criticize me, like if I was just spoiling the marketing. But what happened is that the marketing of hypnosis in Brazil nowadays is one of the biggest in the world. Yeah. Just yeah, absolutely. me myself alone, I had fought more than a thousand five hundred people in person last year. Wow. Because we what was the problem we had in Brazil? People were teaching hypnosis for people that was already into hypnosis. Yeah. That's a problem of the marketing. People are selling courses. We go to courses, we always see the same faces the same people. That's because the marketing is aimed for people that are already into hypnosis, which is a mistake. Yes. Because yes. if you look at your street, how many people that live on your neighborhood would love to learn how to get into hypnosis, like to use self-hypnosis? Lots of people. And we are not achieving that people. Yes. So the first law is the law of abundance you must think in terms of abundance, not scarcity. Yeah, yeah. The second thing, you must think on social media. So if you you create a video, you must deliver real content. People don't want those videos which is just an ad. People on the internet, they don't like that. And there is the trigger of reciprocity. If people learn something from you, they will want to spend more time with you, learn more, even more with you, buy your things, buy your books and everything. The second thing is that, especially on YouTube, when you start your YouTube channel, you must think that every video has a TV ad. Think on every video like on TV ad, yeah. is it aiming the right person? For example, I love street hypnosis. I love having fun in stage hypnosis. I love going there. But I don't put in my YouTube channel entertaining anymore. I mm. used to put the beginning of my YouTube channel. There are many funny videos and kind stuff, but I saw that when I deliver a video nowadays, I think which kind of person I want to watch this video. Mm. And when I make a video where someone hallucinates and and he or she sees her idol like Michelle Pfeiffer or something like that, although that's incredible and I like it, it isn't going to to aim my public if I want to work, for example, as a therapist, or if I want to work as a teacher of hypnosis. But Mm. if I am a stage hypnotist, Mark Slavar, for example, he uses very well his YouTube channel to promote his work as an entertainer. So when you send a video, you must think, which is the public? Which is my buying persona? I like the concept of the buying persona. Yeah. The buying persona is to create an avatar, like creating a, a person which will buy your product. So when I create a video in my YouTube channel, I think which person will get that video. Yes. Another another thing is that think wisely on thumbnails. I'm started making all my thumbnails again Mm. because thumbnails that little image that we see in the youtube yeah if you have a good thumbnail more people will click on that Mm. because they will as more professional so if you don't have a good thumbnail and i used to be very silly about that and i have more than 300 thumbnails to create (laughs) And I will will replace them all because that is a problem. Nowadays, Mm. every video, every new video has a good thumbnail because it gives the idea of something professionally made. Another thing is that your video will position you and your product. The quality of the video will position your brand. So if you go and record something, in the middle of your hypnosis class or even in your office as a therapist and record that in a very low quality, that's the idea of low quality that you're sending to your viewers. Yeah. You must think on the quality of your video. And if you want to record something worse, like less quality, you should not use YouTube. You should use Facebook or the Instagram. Because those tools, Facebook and Instagram, they were made for people to record videos on the fly, like using their cell phone or something like that. So people, audience, are used to see low quality videos on Facebook or Instagram, but not on YouTube. YouTube usually requires better videos. And something that people don't know well, the people that, were, people that were in my lecture knew about it, yeah. is that you must track your audience. Mm. You must track how many subscribers you are getting on a daily basis mm. and which kind of videos you get more subscribers. For example, in my YouTube channel, I have three kinds of videos. I put videos three times a week and I have... On Monday and Wednesday, a specific video on hypnosis or psychology. And on the Friday, I always put a self-hypnosis video, what we call the false self-hypnosis, which is an audio to guide people to change. And I realized that the self-hypnosis videos are the ones that get more views. Mm. But... You may think, if the self-hypnosis get more views, why do I keep the other two videos? Because it's important to have a quality of the viewer. I don't want just people that are curious about self-hypnosis. I want people that are into psychology, for example. Yeah. So I must give them some good quality videos. And we must have frequency. That frequency must be fixed. Like one day, one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, yeah. and you should at least put two days a week the videos. Yeah. And there are some tools that I will teach people now. People don't know about these tools to so track your subscribers. Mm. I'm I'm not work. I'm not. Uh, I will talk about the tools. I'm not the owner of those websites. Okay, I just use them. Yeah. I'm um, yeah. just you a customer. Yeah. And if you have problems with them, I, I'm not responsible. Yeah. <laughs> but the first one is socialblade.com. Do you know this one? So socialblade?
0: Social socialblade. I've heard of that. I don't I don't use them.
1: But you I, can track your subscribers on YouTube and Instagram on a daily basis. And cool. it's important because you can see, for example, if we start putting videos of interviews on your YouTube channel, for example. Yeah. You can see which kind of interview got you more subscribers. So you get more to know about your audience. Yeah. Which action, which call to action you did which made more people subscribe. Yeah. Social Blade is for free and you can learn about it. Yeah. And there is a secret tool which is not so secret as I'm talking about it. <laughs> yeah. It's the VTIQ vidiq.com vidiq yeah vidiq.com yeah that's one of the most fantastic tools i ever saw for social media especially it works with youtube it's do you know this this tool yeah Adam? yeah that's incredible because when you go into that you can install a chrome extension for your browser so it changes your YouTube, and when you went go to YouTube with this VidIQ installed to your computer, you see which is the tag words that your even people that are your rivals on the commerce, which tags are they using? Yeah, you can see, for it's example, good. the relevance of of the tags. So yeah. you can change your tags, and more important. It has uh, automatic analysis of your videos yeah. and which tags you should put in, yeah. so it makes a full analysis, uh, what people call SEO yeah. uh, optimization, search optimization approach to see how can you make your channel, your videos more appealing. Which are the the right words to put there, yeah. and. If I need, would give um, last advice, is be patient mm. because working with social media. Because when you start working with YouTube, I'm not meaning people that put videos on YouTube. I mean someone that start doing it on a very frequent basis. Mm. People that are working with YouTube, they will take probably more than a year or a year and a half to see results. Yeah. And I don't know, have you seen the movie The Founder yes. of MacBooks? And I always remember when Michael Keaton hears uh, persistence. <laughs> yeah. Persistence is the most important thing. And I do think that persistence is very important yeah. because it's a very long term strategy. Yeah. Just to make you understand, I started putting the hypnosis videos on the middle of 2014. Yeah. I started getting good results on the end of 2015. Yeah. So, if I start, people start doing the videos, they don't see results. And that's a problem because people need persistence. And one last thing is when you make uh, social media content, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, always call to action. Yeah. You must, the viewer must get in contact with you. They must give you their email so you can send them more content. Yeah. And I don't know if people know, there is a, in the algorithm of Facebook, there's something that avoids YouTube. Do you know did you know that Adam? No, I didn't know. Yeah, that's one of the people don't know that, and your viewers are going to know about that. If you put Facebook sees Mark Zuckerberg sees YouTube as one of the greatest rival. Mm. So what Mark Zuckerberg did? If you post a link from YouTube on Facebook, the algorithm is going to ignore it as much as possible. Really? Mm Yes. So, if you want, there are solutions for that. If instead of putting the link of YouTube on Facebook, you put an image, the thumbnail of the video, telling about the video, and then you put the link in the first comment, Facebook doesn't see that as a threat. So it lets... You put the video. So when I'm putting... I
0: I did not use that. I did not know that. But as of this
1: week, I am doing that. Yeah, that's an excellent thing. Because if you don't do that, the algorithm is going to ruin you. Mm. And so, but I do think it's important to have specific videos for Facebook. And there is a little advice for videos on Facebook and Instagram. Is that putting subtitles... The mm-hmm. videos are shorter with subtitles all over the video because Facebook, has the, the, uh, uh, the app, has the function of auto-playing the videos, auto-executing the videos on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And what happens is, if people are, almost, almost all people that are using Facebook, they can't listen to sounds. Many of them are using their mobiles, their cell phones on the streets, and they can't hear the videos. Mm. But if your video starts playing automatically and it has subtitles, you may grab, you may get that person's attention. Yeah. So if in your video you put the subtitle in Facebook, Instagram, immediately you can see what it talks about. So it's good to see the difference between Facebook and YouTube while produ- producing and delivering your content.
0: Mm. Mm. <clears throat> that, that, there is so much in there, you know, I'm, 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 as, as often happens with me. I completely forgot that I was recording a podcast then and I was behaving like I was in a seminar. I was just busy writing stuff down that I'm going to be using and I'm going to go and, and, and just start listening back. To this, um, 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 if people want to learn more about, about 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 you know some of the social media input, do you do do you do um, um, seminars and, and or, or things like that or training on this this subject or, or or where do you recommend people go to learn more about these kind of subjects?
1: Well, I do think that um, you should learn yeah. a lot on content marketing. Does it make sense in English? Yeah. yeah content yeah, marketing? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Yes. So there are some works. The problem with content marketing is that you have to be more cautious with content marketing than with the science of hypnosis. Because yeah. people in the content marketing they usually are worse than Joseph Murphy because they make it, <laughs> they say things that you can make millions and billions. <laughs> with selling anything and so when you read like the words on content marketing you must be very cautious yeah. but if you are cautious the launch for example from jeff walker is a good strategy and the there is another author let me remember the that's that's a very initial work but his name is Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, ah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Do you know this guy?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. but, but but our our listeners may not have done Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Um, um. Um. I'll I'll put a link. I'll put a link. Um. Um. And 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 spell his name on the on, on the episode. Yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah. That's complicated. That's not as complicated as Schwarzenegger, but that's complicated. <laughs> yeah. And he has many books on social media. Yeah. There was one jab, 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 hook or something. Where is there's in the cover there's a gloves. There are gloves of boxing. Yeah, and he gives. If people are starting its social media thing, that book will give you a broad idea. Which is Pin, Pinterest. Which is Instagram. Which is Facebook. YouTube. And of course, if anyone wants uh, a seminar, I have a one-day workshop into the social media and marketing, yeah. especially for hypnotists. Cool. So it would be very good to teach you all of these things. And yeah. I love talking about this topic because I, I, I find it very weird that many people... They learn about a lot about theories of psychology, of therapy, of hypnosis, but they n- never think about the, the business thing. Yeah. And yeah. one yeah. bad thing on the psychology is that when I finished psychology, I didn't know how to open my office. I didn't know about income budget. I didn't know about advertising. I didn't know about anything about my profession, my profession. So... I don't know how it's in the UK, I hope it's different, but in Brazil, during our college of psychology, we're so focused into the theories and the internship, the the things of therapy, but we don't know about taxes, for example, or how to open your office and how to open your your business, business thing. And one bad thing in Brazil, too, is that people see psychologists as a priest. And culturally speaking, they see someone that works with psychology and therapy as someone that has a mission, not someone that has a very qualified job. And that disturbs me because I respect people that see therapy as a mission. But yeah. nobody says that about doctors, for example, yeah. or dentists. Yeah. Although yeah. it's your mission, although it's my mission, I love doing that, I must earn my money well according to the, the, how much I studied. So in Brazil, they see the therapist as a kind of priest or something like that, and uh, I really don't like this mindset. Yeah. And so, I think it's important to learn more about business besides learning all about theory of hypnosis and therapy
0: yeah 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 um um I could just listen to you talking about this nonstop um I really, really appreciate how generous you've been i'm um, um, giving giving this information here um Alberta. and i think um um it it's an indicator of one of the reasons why you 've been such a success um and because because of the, the the way in which you serve the people and the, your generosity of spirit um, um is something that um, um is, is personified with you you know this 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 Givers gain notion that I, I I I'm very big on myself. I'm um, um, really thank you, Alberto. Thank you. There will be. Links to Alberto's websites, um, 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 and the YouTube channel, and the various different things that I've mentioned, um, on this page is uh, uh on this page of the Hypnosis Weekly um, um website. Um, um, all that remains for me to say is Alberto, thank you, thank you for coming and being this week's guest. Thank you for being so giving.
1: Thank you a lot, Adam, uh, for the invitation. I was very glad because many important people have talked to you on your podcast and now I am the one which is talking. So yeah. I'm very glad to have the chance of talking to you and to our audience. And if, if, if anyone has any doubts, they can find I have, um I have a fan page in Facebook which is Alberto Delisula. There will be links and people yeah. can send a message and talk to me. It will be i'll be very glad to talk about all the things hypnosis and all this stuff yeah
0: and i will i will make sure that there's a link to that um at this page as well alberto thank you very much indeed for being this week's guest on the hypnosis weekly podcast
1: thank you a lot and talk to you
0: I really enjoyed that. It was lovely speaking to Alberto. That was a 20-minute segment on the podcast, and I basically said two things. I asked two questions, and that's what you want, isn't it, as a podcast host, someone who knows their subject, just wants to give information, serve the field, serve the listeners, love it. I'm onto our evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week, which is this. Um, um, There is a study that shows good cause for optimism regarding the application of hypnosis for raising general health measures. And this is a study by Dobbin and colleagues um, back in the early 2000s that studied the impact of hypnosis on the health status of patients from a pool of 14 general medical practices. 300 patients attended this free hypnosis clinic and um, 244 of those completed two basic treatment sessions that were provided by the clinic. All patients were given um, the classic medical outcomes study, short form 36, uh, which is a health survey UK version. Um, And the results in terms of improvement in scores on that form at the six week follow up were really impressive with significant improvements made in the domains of emotional health, social function, mental health and energy. And this gives really good cause for optimism regarding its application for raising general health measures. Um, um, A link to the research paper is included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So that's it for this week's 90th edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming editions. Uh, we'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all, remaining friends. Next time out, I welcome Karen Puttick. We'll be talking about her Imaginarium process. You're going to love that. I know I, I build that last week. A slight error on my part. Um. And that's it for another edition of this Hypnosis Weekly podcast. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again to Alberto. Isolia. And thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.